Shield sentries are critical for the players themselves. They build a case. They help knock down the door. Shield sentries are vital in the ecosystem of selection to change the pecking order to keep the incumbents honest to apply some pressure for change. Not many shield sentries cross over into public affection anymore, prompting admiration and giving voice to great hope. As the wunderkind of Australian cricket, Will Pukowski initially made big scores for fun and gathered an army of followers that climaxed in his test debut. But shield sentries haven't been there for Pukowski since November 2020. And yesterday was the culmination of a complicated struggle to which he has given some insight, but not the full story. A complicated struggle with mental health and then the additional complication of concussion in that equation. It was what made yesterday's Pukowski century truly crossover. Pukowski pushes and he goes through for a run and he'll complete it. And he'll bring up his... Seventh first-class century, raises his hands. Well played, Will Pukowski. The most important shield century in many a year, I reckon. He is the placeholder in Australia's opening debates. When he's ready, there's a place for him. And Pukowski, a couple of weeks before that century, had given Adam White the insight on the Vic State Cricket podcast. Probably for the first time in my life, I sort of truly believe that I could do it and do it over an extended period. I think whilst I've had this other cloud sort of lingering over my head, it was very much like, yeah, I know I want it. I know I aspire to do it. But whilst this sort of demon's sitting there, I know it's going to be, you know, hard if not impossible. Whereas now I see the possibility of it, which is the most exciting thing of all, where you go, okay, that's a genuine aspiration where I don't think those, well, I sort of know now those roadblocks aren't going to be in the way. Yeah, I think that ambition is burning probably harder than it ever has purely because I actually feel like now I've got faith that I could really do it. And to illustrate the complexity of Pukowski's scenario, he missed the next game with concussion symptoms. But there he was at the SCG yesterday. When Will Pukowski is ready, he'll play for Australia. He has long been the chosen one. The question is, could he be ready? And when would that be? For Pukowski himself, he got to the very brink of giving up on cricket and yesterday's century will have meant the world on a whole lot of fronts. It's a true crossover shield century and those ones are rare. On Mondays, we tap the wisdom and experience of Robert Craddock. Hello to you, Crash. Jared, it's great to have you back. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great story, Will Pukowski, isn't it? Well, put it this way, the century was a great story. It's been a tumultuous ride, hasn't it? It, it has and I don't think we fully... He gives us enough insight to understand that it is complicated uh, and that's perhaps the judgments that we normally cast on these things are, are best held back. Yeah, it's just so complex. I get the feeling there's probably two people in this world that truly understand what's happening and, and uh, you know, that would be, you know, his concussion specialist who revealed that, uh, you know, he'd been suffering from sinus issues that were triggering the concussion and he said he was failing the same part of the concussion test eight years in a row and just getting up from a chair, he felt dizzy. So that's not how a test batsman can operate and so... 
Look, the big question now is where to from here, Jared, and, it, and it's a good question, but I hope they don't rush him, to be honest. Uh, you know, he can play out the Shield season now. Uh, you know, maybe I'd love to see him sort of go to England or somewhere like that to, again, to, to, to just hone his craft a bit. I know he's had difficult times there in the past, but it's just about getting up matches. Like, as you said, only recently he was out of a game with concussion, so there's still a way to go for mine. But here's the good thing. He's sort of in his own age bracket. He's 26 years old, so he's got Cameron Green two years one side of him younger and a gap of four years the other side to guys like Travis Head and Marnus Labuschagne. So if he comes good, there's a beautiful career for him. Remember, Mike Hussey didn't even start till he was about 30. So I know everyone likes to have snap judgments. Oh, he's ready to go back. Well, after a dozen concussions, you just do not want him suffering from concussion in front of the full view of a million people in the test arena. Yeah, and the layer in behind that was sort of the illumination that sometimes the concussion symptoms were a mask for something else for the mental health issues that he's dealing with. And and he's not ready to lay all of that out as a young man at the moment. But I thought that was really clear. The difference with the Pukowski case, and this has been true since he was a teenager, is they don't really believe in Bancroft or Renshaw or Harris, but they've always believed in Pukowski if he can get himself right that that he is he's your ponting figure for this generation. Correct. The, 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 and that's not an issue. No one has ever doubted that Will Pukowski, with a clear head, uh, is Australia's absolute number one choice as the opener of the future. I have to say, he before this century, he actually struggled a bit this season. I think he'd had one score over 39 in his last 12 first-class innings which for Will Pukowski, that represents a bit of a drought. But he looked terrific on the weekend, and and it's there. And and you just know that it would be there in the test arena. And and really, um, you know, he can do it. But I just hope they don't rush him, Jared. I'd like to see him really see if he can leave this issue behind over a period of not just sort of uh, weeks but months and just get into a vein of form where he's got 100, then 50, then then another 100. Like, be the batsman that we know he can be in the Shield arena, full of confidence, and maybe when Usman Khawaja retires, that's when I think he's got to be ready because Steve Smith's anchored in there for the time being as an opening batsman, and the plan is for him to stay there indefinitely. Kawaja won't last much longer, and I just think the thought of Kawai- of uh, Pukowski and Smith opening is, is a really nice one for Australia. Yeah, and I think you're right with that as a runway, is play the rest of the Shield season, which Victoria has ambitions towards a Shield final. If if New South Wales' reign, if Sydney's reign holds off today and then he's signed the, the deal with Leicester and beyond that he's going back to uh, to play at another English club so to immerse himself fully in English cricket and play week after week after week, which then leads back to the start of a, a new Shield season, which we know is front-ended, and just see if, if for 12 months he can play cricket every game, one after the other, without, without those issues rearing for him. But I do love the way he's talking, Jared, because there was always a sense that I'm not saying it was psychosomatic, but there was always a sense that when when there was a, a semblance of concussion, like his spirit was really crushed and all the bad memories flooded back. And of course, that's where the mental health issues kick in. 
to hear him on that's as good as I've heard him sound on the podcast with Adam White like and, and it seemed to be really genuine like it wasn't hopeful it was a guy so so let's hope that's the start of good things and um um, because, as we said, he is in a generation all by himself. Yeah. That, that that there's no uh, emerging batsmen who are trusted in the way he is if he's got a clear head. There's a lot of thoughts around the Pukowski century, which I'll uh, accumulate and share with you as we go. They are matched by the thoughts around England, who were mauled at the hands of India. 400-plus runs. is These games, these test matches, um, have been captivating in all sorts of different ways. Uh, we have the partnership with Sports Talk, so it's all been on the SEN app. It's been riveting listening. Down the track again goes Mark Wood, and this time doesn't clear the fielder, and it's quite fitting that it's the double centurion who will help Jadeja take his fifth wicket for the innings. Jaswal with the catch, Jadeja with the wicket. Wood goes for 33, England bowled out for 122, and India have absolutely walloped their visitors. Everyone's got a perception and opinion about things, um, but again, you know, the, the people of the dressing rooms are the opinions who really matter to us. Um, and, you know, we know that, um, you know, things don't always work out exactly how you want it to. Um, but, uh, you know, two went down in the series, still got two games left, so, yeah, we've got a great chance to, to come home with the trophy at 3-2. Ben Stokes, the England captain. Now, Crash, this started so promisingly for England. They had India 3-33 for 33 in the first hour of the day's play, and they've ended up getting beaten by 434 runs, a historic loss that came in for all that might have changed in English cricket. This is the most familiar way to get routed on the subcontinent. Oh, yeah, and India have worked out, oh, and this is trouble for overseas teams, that the best wickets they can prepare are not the spinning minefields, but the true decks on which their great spinners thrive anyway. Like Jadeja, who we've said it how many times, the world's most underrated cricketer, just throws down a century and, and then picks up Pfeiffer. But in, England spinners were exposed. They just couldn't do anything, and... They ran, uh, India were just terrific. But it, it came down, of course, to Joe Root's uh, outrageously brave and reckless reverse scoop shot off Boomer, which has, it, it, in, a, in a nutshell, that summed up the whole baseball debate. When he was doing it a few months ago, everyone was lauding the adventure of it and the, the daring do of it. But when they had a chance to really apply some heat to India, when Ravi Ashwan had missed a day's play due to a personal issue and he played this outrageously reckless shot, Jared. And I have to say, Jasper Bumrah has got the second best bowling average in test history of long-serving bowlers. Like, technically, he's better than Dennis Lilly. Would you reverse scoop Dennis Lilly? You know, would, yeah. you, would you reverse scoop Malcolm Marshall? So it was just wasn't the shot for the day. And I'll put two theories to you, Jared. Yep. Okay, you pick one. Uh, Joe Root's shot was the shot of a guy who has fully embedded himself in this baseball theory and, and he's a great team man, he's doing it for the team. That's theory A. Theory B is Root is the captain who was almost embarrassed by baseball because he captained him before and they're just doing all these things that, that you know he didn't do and he's been shown up. So he said, all right, if you want us to play like this, I'll just swing away. <laughs> so I, I can't work out whether it's theory A or theory B. I think it's the first one. I think he's a good team man, but that was just beyond the pale. It was. So 
This is the mo- this is almost the referendum on Basball in a singular moment. Here's how it sounded, and then Ben Stokes in the aftermath of it. Reverse sweep, caught, gone. Josewell takes the catch. That sled slip. Goodness gracious me. Joe Roots scored nearly 12,000 runs. Um, I think we can leave the, the, the decision-making and the reason as to why with Joe. He got out to it, and it's not a shot he necessarily sees test match players playing. Um, but, look, I'm, who am I to question a guy who's got 30 test match hundreds, nearly 12,000 test runs? I think he knows what he's doing. Goodness gracious me was a good description from Neil Manthorpe. So in in that crash is the the very delusion of Basball to see the world as you want it to be and not as it is, is throughout Joe Root's career when he's found a shot that has failed him when he's repeatedly got out in a manner, he would have shelved it. So he can make runs in any way that he wants. As Stokes's point is actually he's making the polar opposite point. As Root can make runs any way he chooses and has done through judicious shot making throughout his career. And now he's gone headfirst into the pool of Basball and he's drowning on the reverse scoop, which he's suddenly addicted to and won't put back in the bag because of the, the cult like element to it that will just crash through no matter how often we crash. And here's the thing, <laughs> Joe and the reverse sweep have an unusual relationship. When he's playing well, it just ticks over and it's outrageously good. When he's playing badly, it gets him out. And he's played modestly in this series and your timing with that sort of shot has just got to be honey sweet and superb and he's not timing the ball that well at the moment, so, it's, so it got him out. But look, Root pre baseball was averaging 49, I think, and he's averaging just over 50 at a strike rate of 70 with baseball, so you could say it's working, but he also has been relieved of the captaincy burden, so that would help him as well. But the thing is, you baseball cannot make you a great team if you don't occasionally find a second and third gear in your play. You just can't blast a team like India out of the water. I enjoy baseball, Jared. I really like it. And as I've said to you so many times, when Ben Duckett and Zach Crawley are opening the batting, whatever I'm doing in life, I stop it. And I go to the television and I watch, and this little Ben Duckett, who never lets a ball go, breaks every rule in the book for opening batting. He just goes, Biff, bang, whack, and he's great to watch. But they had him, and they had. It was just time to play really sort of dig your toes in cricket, as in you know, you boys, you're down a player. It's a flat deck. Hi, my name's Joe Root, and I'm yeah. batting throughout the first session, and I don't care whether I score twenty because I'm tiring you out. And he gave them a wicket, and I, I do get it. But I love the debate on it that baseball causes. Here's here's one example. Shield Berry, the world's most experienced cricket writer who's seen 250 tests, said it was the dumbest shot in the history of the game. Piers Morgan, the outspoken commentator, uh, challenges that and goes back and gets a column that Shield wrote eight months ago saying that Root provided the most breathtaking entertainment he's ever seen with this reverse scoop. And he put the column side by side on Twitter. And in some ways that summed up the debate. Like, you've got to take Root for what he is. You can't, you know, there's not two versions of him. Like, he's playing this game. So if you love it, love it. But there's going to be bumps along the way. But uh, I I just feel, Jared, that they... 
I, I, I like what baseball's doing, but without a second gear in tests against India, away, uh, it, you cannot beat them. And here's the sad thing for England. This is a five-test series, which I always reckon is far... No test series in India should ever be five tests. It's too hard for the right. visiting teams. Yeah. Five tests. They're barely halfway through it. They've got two more tests to go. This could be a 4-1 loss. Yes, is so that's the risk for them is that it all spins out of control, as it were, from here. Is their mentality is, is there's, if there's any side that can just uh, shake that off and, and steady up, it will be this England side. That, that, so I, there's, the spectacle of Basball is a bit different to sort of the cultish elements of it. So the cultish elements of it were the was Duckett's comments that Jace Wells' innings owed to Basball as if nobody had ever played proactive cricket full of magnificent shot making before England decided to do this two years ago. And I think that's where the the blowback and the, the resentment um, comes from is that that's just patently ludicrous is all they can see is themselves and, and the religion that they've imposed on everybody else. The, the delusional aspect of that I, I find absolutely staggering. Oh, yeah. Well, look, Jaswell's been playing that way since he was a kid. Yes. In first-class cricket, he averages an extraordinary 77 at a strike rate of about that. And that, that start, a career which started before baseball. But I've got to say, Jared, I, I really do believe Jaswell is the best story in, in world sport at the moment. Uh, I mean, we luxuriated at Shamar Joseph, didn't we? Rags yeah. to riches. But this... Uh, for a young kid... Think of it. Just anyone who's listened to this show and you've got a 12-year-old kid, imagine this. He's grade six at school. He leaves you. You're living in Victorian country. He leaves you. He goes and sets up base uh, on the tan or somewhere, builds a tent there and plays just, just cricket with his mates for two years, lives in darkness in a tent at Mumbai, which he did, and uh, just next to the groundsman's hut. And I've been to those Maidans, Jared, where they play. They're overlapping fields. They play as many games as they can. By day, they're, they're fine. They're quite welcoming. By night, they're dark. And this young boy, for two years, lived in a tent without electricity uh, or any form of, you know, like there was, there was nothing there, no running water. I'm not sure what happened to how he got through, but he did. Picked up by a local coach and coached to greatness. I mean... He has a hunger that I don't believe Jared, any Australian boy could ever have because no one in our, in our society could ever been through what Jay's Wall's been through. You know what I mean? He has steel pellets in his soul. Yeah. Two double centuries in a row. I mean, it, it, 50's not enough for him. 100's not enough for him. 150's not enough. And when he was going through, Jared, and I was talking to Bharat Sundarajan about this, if you're playing junior cricket in Mumbai, 250 does not get you in the paper. 300 might, 400 will. Yes. So these kids just have bottomless determination. It is an extraordinary story. Did the kid go to school? I don't think... We're not sure that he did. You know, he, there's a school in Mumbai for cricketers that Rohit Sharma went to and they just drift in, drift out. Oh, I'm not sure whether he was taught to read, write, arithmetic. It was just cricket Monday to Friday. And he'll be here at the top of the order later on this year. It's What an, what an arrival as an international player it's been. Oh, Jared, it's stunning. And you think of this. Okay, so he's gone from selling these little fried treats in the street uh, to help to earn a little bit of pocket money. It might have been a dollar at a time. Who knows? Uh, up through his teens, barely going to school. And this is the kid who's just got a double century against in England, by the way, Jayswell. 
And then suddenly he gets in the Indian under-19s and they really like him. And so he lands an IPL contract of half a million dollars. And I just thought, imagine that, Jared. <laughs> You've survived on bread and dripping for seven years. Then you sign a contract and you haven't even got a bank account, but you get paid half a million dollars. And I just thought, uh, however much we find out about this young boy, Jaswell, is not enough. He is one of the greatest yeah. sports stories of, of... I'm going on, aren't I? But I just think it's fantastic. It's a beautiful depiction of it. Uh, we will talk Australia's win in the women's test match against South Africa. The T20s are about to begin in New Zealand as a forerunner to the two test matches there, and we'll stretch a bit beyond that with Crash as well. Our cricket updates for Henley, paying $1,000 a month off your home loan for two years. Uh, Melbourne's weather, cloudy, a top of 23. This summer, be prepared for extreme weather and sign up for the SMS outage alerts at unitedenergy.com.au slash notify. The first wicket on the Wacker, Alani King, and it's the last wicket of South Africa as well. The first ever test match between these two sides has ended in a comprehensive win to Australia by 284 runs. Also culminating in four points, which means Australia win the multi-format series 12-4. Australia dominating the test match on a women's front, as you would imagine, as this is one of the sliding scales in women's cricket, is other nations have to be exposed to test cricket, and Australia will need to do its part there. So Australia have been forerunners, India and England, and the rest need the exposure. That's what happened at the Wacker. It's a test match memorable for Elisa Healy's 99 and Annabelle Sutherland's double century crash. So it certainly had some signature moments. Oh, look, it really did. <clears throat> and James Sutherland, of course, uh, father of Annabelle, did so well coaching his kids, didn't he? Yes. Uh, Will and Annabelle. And as busy as he was as a CA chief executive, he always coached a junior team there along the way. And I, I think him and Heidi have done it. They're, they're both really good kids. And if you had to make a prediction, Jared, what about this? I'd say sometime in the next six years that... Annabelle and Will Sutherland will have a week where they're both captaining Australian white ball teams. Oh. I reckon I'll put that one down and we'll just keep the tape of that. Like most of my predictions, it'll probably go up in smoke. <laughs> but, but I just think, you know, you, you just... Will's doing a good job with Victoria. Annabelle's just got that look about her that she's, you know, she, she's a, a strong, long-serving player with, a, you know, that, that same instincts about the game. And uh, both, you know, it, it's, to me, it's not really an outrageous prediction. Uh, I think they're, you know, good leaders are hard to find. People don't cover the leadership of Australia like they used to yep. because you're subjected to the forces of social media. I, I've had players in the, in the test team say, mate, I just wouldn't want it. Just let me bat, please. I don't want the scrutiny. So you, you've got to, the Sutherland kids are, are really got good heads on their shoulders. And I think that could happen within six years that there'll be two white ball games in Australia and the Sutherlands uh, might be leading their country. What, Just what, for... Yeah, what an amazing <laughs> legacy to leave is to be the leader of the organisation for near on 20 years and then to provide two national players in the aftermath. It's, we'll put it this way. If, you have, if you're on a bookie stand now and you were framing odds of it, I'd have it 
no worse than even money, honestly. Yep. I, I think, you know, just have a look at the ages of them and their potential. And I'm not saying tests for Will. I'm saying white ball. But you just... And, you know, there's some chance he mightn't even get there. It's We've said how hard it is for bowling all-rounders to get into teams because... Uh, but that's mainly tests, you know. it's uh, He's a good young player. Australia... In New Zealand, it starts Wednesday with the first of the T20s. Next Monday, we'll talk the Test Series, which uh, which begins the following Thursday. So just from the white ball perspective, what are we looking forward to here? Oh, well, we're looking forward to, to just getting a feel of the conditions. And I think that there's no doubt that New Zealand have been talking about this looming Test Series, Jared, for a long time and prioritising it far higher than Australia has. And as we said, you know... <laughs> It's just this haunting statistic that hangs over everything New Zealand progress they make in the game. One win out of their last 31 tests against Australia. It is staggering. Yeah. You know, like it's, it defies rhyme and reason, doesn't it? The whole thing. And uh, I just think that um, uh, I, I, the other thing is too, I believe it's a really defining test series for Kane Williamson. Like he... Is a, is a great batsman, I get it. But his record against Australia, I think he averages 41, and it's 37 against India and about the same against England. So he hasn't torn the top nations to shreds, Jared, by any stretch, and that is how you're judged. As Peter Roebuck used to say, when you're, when you're comparing the great batsmen, you, you, you when you're comparing mediocre players, you look at their highlights. When you're comparing the best, you look at what they didn't do. And he hasn't torn Australia apart. You know, yeah. uh, or England or India to any major degree. So, yeah, big, big series for him. A cricket chat for Henley Mortgage Fund, $1,000 a month off your home loan for two years, all backed by Henley's $7 billion parents. Here's Nathan in the newsroom. Nathan, thank you. Additional elements. Hideki Matsuama shot 62 after starting the round six shots behind Patrick Cantlay's lead. His first victory since 2022, Sony Open had fallen outside the top 50 official world golf ranking. So a course record to storm to victory in the PGA Tour. And we're just learning that very elegant champion mare has passed away due to complications giving birth to her foal. So one of the true modern champions of the turf, Caulfield Cup winner, Melbourne Cup winner, very elegant has passed away. So after 11, we'll spend some time there. I've got Robert Craddock with me. The sad passing in cricket circles crash was Mike Proctor, uh, who's been uh, so well remembered for his playing days, which were interrupted but spectacular nonetheless, and then his role with uh, with cricket officialdom thereafter. Oh, yeah. So, and played seven tests all against Australia and took 41 wickets at 15 with oh. these really enchanting uh, fast-medium uh, pace where he, he appeared to bowl off the wrong leg and got this massive hooping in-swing, Jared, which tormented left-handers. Kepler Vessel said, you just felt you were facing a bloke bowling with a soap sud. It just <laughs> sort of drifted away to slip. <laughs> but I had to do it yesterday. Do you know, Alan Border never gushes about rival players, but for 40 years, he's had this thing where he loves Mike Proctor. He was 21 years old when he played league cricket in Gloucester, Alan Border, and Mike was there, Gloucester's senior professional. Went and saw him, and just the sight of this guy bounding him with his blonde hair, you know, sort of really robust sort of guy. Border loved him ever since. Got him out here for his his uh, testimonial match, 
And sure enough, and I love hearing, do you know how it's great hearing heroes talk about their heroes, Jared? You know, the the absolute elite, you know, when you get Wayne Carey on talking about who's the best or, or, you know, those guys, uh, Lee Matthews and... And so AB on the phone yesterday, I taped it and I listened to it twice. It was so good. Like he was saying, he said, mate, he had everything. He would have been better than both of them. He said, he said the swinging ball, pace, uh, that love of a good fight off the field, you know, like to quiet drink and, and, a, and a bet and a real natural leader. And, uh, but he grew up in the apartheid era and there was a lovely story when he got off the plane in South Africa and under 19s in London, he sat next to Barry Richards, who he'd grown up with in Durban. The great Barry Richards lived one suburb away in Durban and they saw a white man sweeping the streets. Normally in South Africa, that would be a black man in apartheid. And he nudged Barry and said, what's going on here? Is everything right in our civilised world at home, do you think? And that was the first time he realised what, you know, the... the, the that apart, you know, got him thinking about the wider world. And he, he became a great man. He loved women's cricket by the end of his life, but he had a heart operation recently and, and didn't recover. But then, of course, Jared, there was the Monkey Gate affair when he was the match referee. Yeah. Yep, and that's the bitter aftermath of that still lives in many a heart right now. So Mike Proctor, well remembered there by Robert Craddock. Uh, I got a little bit more for Crash as well, which we'll spend next. This is Waitley for Hyundai. The Hyundai SUV sale event is on now. Robert Craddock, his wisdom and experience on a Monday with all the topics in sport before us. Crash, where, where would you say things are with the Brisbane Olympics at the moment? With the pause for the Lord Mayor's report, essentially the declaration that the rebuild of the Gabba is dead. And then the it looks like the way to salvage it, and one of the salvage missions is around staging an opening ceremony around the regional areas, which you go, hello, Melbourne, this is how we mucked up the Commonwealth Games idea. Just give us, give me the local feel for where things are with the Olympics. They're in a real crisis point, Jared, because here's the thing. The renovation of the Gabba got up towards $3 billion. Now, a billion dollars is a thousand million. <laughs> like, sit, imagine a thousand million little bags, all right? And then multiply that by three. So, youth crime is running rampant up here. So, people are really against the Gabba. It's an election year in Queensland. Both states, both parties know that the Gabba's political poison. It can't happen. Now they're looking at Suncorp Stadium, a rectangular ground for the opening ceremony. I don't like it at all. Um, just, it's a rugby league ground. You know, I just have this image of someone from Germany, Thailand or Austria walking past the statue of Wally Lewis out the front <laughs> going, who's that? Yep. What's his name? Wally. <laughs> you know, and fair enough too. And they're also saying, let's redevelop where the Commonwealth Games held the athletics in 1982 and leave that as a legacy. So it would be 50 years later, you're using the same athletics ground at QE2 for the Olympics. I don't like that. They say leave that as a legacy. But I say this, Jared, for who? Like what, you know, if you're saying you're leaving it for local athletics, they're fine where they are. They don't need one cent spent on it. It's a small sport. So it's a state of confusion at the moment. And uh, I am worried about it. And I'll tell you why. Because as I've said this to you before, but it is the truth. When you're a city the size of Brisbane, 
your the, the Olympics defines you. It, the Paris Olympics won't define Paris because it's got a million things about Paris that define it. The Olympics will just whiz through there in a few months' time and that'll be it. But Brisbane is Helsinki. Brisbane is Atlanta. Brisbane is Montreal. Say the, say the city, then you say Olympics after it. So that's what worries me. I am concerned. For the first time ever, Jared. I'm worried that Brisbane will do can do the Olympics justice, and I say that quite openly. And if you said what's the something that makes you feel optimistic, it's that normally normally cities get seven years notice. Brisbane had ten, and we haven't even reached seven years yet. So they're still playing with the casinos chips at the moment. Yeah. But it'll get very serious very quickly. Your thoughts? It's felt like buyer's remorse crash. It's felt like buyer's remorse almost from the moment that the contracts were signed. There's been the, oh, but how are we going to do this? And as prices have risen. I also, I am having, uh, with recent experience at Olympics, good and bad. So Rio, the Olympics should never have been in Rio. That was a terrible betrayal of the people of Brazil. The country was broke and all this money had been spent on the IOC demands. But in cities like Beijing and London, the, the cities had never been better. I am now of the view that there's only six or eight cities in the world that should host Olympic Games where it's not the burden, where they're not held over a barrel to spend money on potential white elephant venues and the likes, and that it should be rotated through there. And I do think our city in Australia is either Melbourne or Sydney. And I think it's a reach for a city like Brisbane now and, and the equivalent cities around the world. And I've seen firsthand when it when it goes wrong, and it's it's sort of morally reprehensible that the games uh, were in Rio. So yeah, I worry, I worry. It doesn't it doesn't feel right to me. Yeah, it, it's just, and I think, uh, and, and also I think there'll be a change of government coming up in a few months in Queensland. Now that unsettles things. It may end up being a good thing eventually, but suddenly it's someone else's problem, and they've got to get familiar with it. So it is a real challenge for Brisbane because. Almost since they signed on the dotted line, Jared, uh, building costs just about doubled. Yeah. I mean, you do a renovation anywhere in Australia now, and you're paying seventy percent more than than you were five years ago. So uh, it, it's a challenge. But having said that, I always remember Beijing was going to be ruined by smog. Uh, at, uh, Athens was going to be ruined because the venues wouldn't be ready. And I must admit, when we when the gang arrived there, they could still smell the paint. Yes, yes. <laughs> there was that. Sydney was going to have traffic problems and there was all sorts of it. Rio was going to have crime issues and they sort of got there and, and, and these problems, I'm not saying they evaporated, but they were less than what people thought. Every Games needs a drama Yes. So and, th- and this will have plenty. I think it'll get there, but by no means can anyone afford to smoke, smoke their pipe at the moment because I tell you what, it's all hands on the wheel because there's so much heavy lifting to do. I mean, I'm looking at all the venues like Victoria Park, you know, sailing, equestrian. I'm standing here now, 200 metres from me is the equestrian ground, the raw, the showgrounds where Sir Donald Brabham made his test taboo. <laughs> man, oh man, doesn't that need a lick of paint? Yeah, yeah. And that's the other trouble in all of this is the Gabba desperately needs an uplift. And if it does get left out, I know you wrote the piece, it's going to be fifth in line for Test Cricket, where, where it leaves footy as well. Whether it was the rebuild or the refurbishment, the Gabba, it, it's a tired venue. 100%. Oh, I've got it categorically number five at the moment. And, and let's look forward. If it misses this renovation, well, there's 
till 2032. That's eight years nothing happens. And then I tell you what, money will be as scarce as hence teeth for yeah. renovations in the five years after the Gabba. So I reckon the Gabba stays how it is for the next 20 years. That's a worry because, look... You know, OK, Optus Stadium in Perth may not get the great crowds, but you can't bag the government for non-investment. Gosh, they put up this massive thing and they will be hard to beat. They're direct rivals with Brisbane. Brisbane's other direct rival, Adelaide, is the best cricket ground in Australia. I really do believe that. So they're a level above Brisbane. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's challenging times, Jared, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it just because I'm from Brisbane. Brisbane has got to get its act in order. And a salute to Pete Lawler, who's finished his 20-year innings as the chief cricket writer for the Australian. Uh, he's not going to be lost to the crafts, uh, but it's a big hole in newspapers, Crash. Oh, yeah. Look, he's still on SEN, and, and I, I love Pete's radio commentary, but very emotional day for us when Pete finished. We, I went on his first tour in 2004, and he's a year to India, and he's a year younger than me, but I felt he was 20 years younger than me. He was so enthusiastic. <laughs> and, Jared, I'll just say this. In... in Cricket writing, there's two sorts. There's great writers and great news hounds, and they barely ever go together. If you're a great writer, you're more concerned about words and that. If you're a great news hound, you prefer your phone. He was both. I mean, e- even this year, in his last year, you know, I get the call, oh, mate, bit of news for you. Usman Kawaj is uh, having a peace protest. He's got something on his bat. Peter Lawler exclusive. It's one of the stories of the season. Late in the season, just when you think Peter might have been resting up, got the call. Uh, mate, just to let you know, David Warner's lost his baggy green. Yes. Big stories, you know. <laughs> yep. He would just bob up with these stories. What's your What's your thoughts on Pete, Because I, I, he's so disarming that I always reckon players told him far more than they intended yes. <laughs> to because he's such a nice guy, yeah. you know. He's a great journo. Uh, he's a beautiful man and he's the best I've travelled with. He's, he's such a good companion to be on the road with and he's shown me a lot in South Africa and India where I might be a little bit conservative in those moments. He'd take me out into the to see the local sites. We've got any number of photos in restaurants that I never would have even thought to go through. So he's a beautiful man to travel with as well. So he's gonna join me as the week unfolds. Crash, lovely. Um what a what a good Monday. Gosh, there's a lot around and next week we'll be in the countdown to the New Zealand test match. And just quickly, Joe, I had to ask you, what sort of presence did the rugby league launch of the season have in Las Vegas? Was it everywhere or nowhere? <laughs> nowhere, but I know they had a lot booked for the immediate aftermath. So I think it would be very visible now to ride on the back of that. We'll talk about that next week as well. <laughs> I can't wait. Thanks, Ro- Robert Craddock, all his wisdom and experience for us on a Monday.